Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sandra Ladd, and I'm the Senior Minister for First Christian Church Stillwater. We are growing a Christ-centered, compassionate church where all can connect to God's love. And we hope that in this time you experience growth. We pray that this time will help you focus and center on Christ and that in this time you will sense care and compassion. We pray that this time provide you with a deeper connection to the love of God. Grace and peace be with you. And again, we thank you so much for gifting us with your time. A few weeks ago, we started a new tradition with Scripture, and we've continued it because I believe that it is a very powerful one. I invite you to stand again if you're able, or remain seated if you prefer. Turn in your pew Bibles to page 201, or you can follow along with the words that are up on the screen as we read together from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 and 16 through 18. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. This is the final week of our series, Will the Circle Be Unbroken?, which is focused on the book of 2 Timothy. As we study Paul's letters, I want to add or share a little bit of scholarly insight. There are seven authenticated letters that were written by Paul, meaning that scholars all agree that Paul himself penned those letters. Those letters include Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Romans, Philippians, and Philemon. So the other letters, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus, could have been written by Paul himself, but it's also highly likely that they were written after Paul's death by one of his followers or disciples. It is still Paul's story, probably passed on either verbally or through his own writings. 
This, is, this, was an impo- this was a common ancient tradition. And it's really important information to have because the more you know, the less likely you are to become confused or misled. So most commentaries refer to the writer of First and Second Timothy as the preacher, understanding that whoever the author is, whether it was Paul himself or another minister of the gospel sharing Paul's thoughts, they are still Paul's instructions to Timothy, a young preacher that Paul mentored, issued from prison right before his death. Before we dig into the message, let's pray. Spirit, guide us through the study of your word. Teach, convict, inspire, correct, guide, equip, and enable. Open our hearts and our minds and minister to the needs of each individual. Plant seeds. Help those seeds to be nurtured for growth that results in an abundant harvest of good fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin with a quote from the expositor's commentary, a beginning that is totally contrary to every preaching class that I've ever taken. Capture their attention with a parallel of experience that immediately draws them into the message. A quote from a commentary probably doesn't follow that example. But this morning, we're going to trust that scripture will do that without any help from me. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul wrote, But even if I am poured out like a libation, here in today's passage it says, For I am already being poured out like a libation. In both passages, I am being poured out like a libation presents the picture of a drink offering that's being poured out on the lamb of sacrifice just before it was burned on the altar, an above or beyond offering, if you will, more than what is required, like kind of like adding wine to the roast, adding a little bit of flavor and aroma. In the earlier letter that was written during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, Paul was expecting to be released soon and revisit Philippi, but now the case is different. He is nearing the end of his second and final imprisonment at Rome, and he is conscious that his fate is most likely sealed, for he adds, and my time has and the time and my time has come for my departure. So Paul knows that he is about to die. Early on in his ministry, Paul was ready to invest everything that he has. And it says so much to me that here at the end of his life. When he has poured himself out completely, investing his heart and his soul, everything that he has to offer, he remains faithful. I looked up the definition of libation or drink offering, which said it was a sacrifice, and this is the really important part, offered in gratitude to God. So what Paul is saying here is, I've invested all that I have to invest because I am so very grateful for all that God has done to me. And I think that that's really important because when we offer ourselves out of obligation or because it's what is expected, it provides a much different outcome than when we offer our lives out of gratitude for all God has done 
in our lives. Last week, Eric Gray encouraged you to invest a portion of your finances in the work of the church. Those sermons aren't always well received. But here, Paul says, I've given my life, not just my money. I've given my time, my talents, my body, my soul, my spirit. I have given my whole self, everything that I have to give, my wholehearted devotion. And I wonder how that sets with us. Paul uses phrases often used in Scripture that compare the life of faith to that of an athlete. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I found that interesting because Paul is living in the midst of Roman culture where those analogies would have been very well understood. An athlete in that culture would have been admired, valued, and highly esteemed. Isn't it amazing that the Bible uses analogies that are every bit as relevant today? And I couldn't help but think there's probably some really deep theology just in that statement written to a culture that had a tendency to overvalue athletic excellence, stating there's a really vast similarity. And yet, this offers an even greater payout from the investment. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept of faith. And a prize awaits not only for me, but for everybody who longs for the appearing of Jesus Christ. I saw a social media post last week that stated the following, there is a 0.0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance that your child will stand before Jesus, get them to church. And while that may be a powerful statement of priority and purpose, I don't really think it's the whole truth. It is important to raise your kids in church, but that alone won't prepare you or your child to stand before Jesus. It requires wholehearted devotion. And I would take that even a step further and say that a large part of what has driven a younger generation out of the church is just showing up on Sunday morning and not allowing it to transform your heart or your mind. Ouch. Kids, people are looking for life-changing, transformational faith and they're not really wrong to settle for anything less. The thing is, we're created with this deep desire to know truth. But the reality is the best way to find truth is to experience it for yourself. To wholeheartedly devote yourself to experience for yourself the reality of healing and transformation. The life-giving grace that God offers and being so thankful for those changes, for that grace, for that mercy, that everything in your life is a result of it. If you really want your kids to develop a love for God, no matter what age or stage they are in, don't just show up. Don't just drop them off at youth group and expect the church to train up your child, but devote yourself, your own self, to being an example of a life changed and live that example before them. 
We skip here in our study to verses 16 through 18, and it's really good stuff. In verse 16, Paul states that at his first trial, early on in his ministry, no one supported him. Everyone deserted him, and he follows with, may it not be counted against them. That's not really uncommon in people at the end of life. Even some of the most hard-held grudges seem to dissipate when someone is dying. Not always, but more often than not, people tend to let go of anger and hurt and disappointment. Forgiveness that they were unable to muster while they were living suddenly becomes imperative as they are dying. Paul recognizes the one who was ever and always faithful, the one who never left his side, the one who provided the strength that he needed to face every challenge was the Lord who equipped him to fulfill the mission for which he was called to proclaim the gospel so that the Gentiles might hear it. Now that's transformation, guys. This devout Jew intent on wiping out Christianity from the face of the earth not only now preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, but wants the entire world to receive that good news. Those inside and outside his circle, everyone for which he has the ability to come in contact with. Paul recognizes that he wasn't saved from evil by his own accord, but the Lord rescued him from every evil attack and saved him from his heavenly saved him for his heavenly kingdom. And Paul concludes the message by giving God the glory forever and ever. So, my question is, how did he get there? Let's look just briefly at the parts that we skipped over. And before we do that, can I say that if you learn anything from me and my time as your minister, I hope it's this. Do not take pieces and parts of the Bible and use them to form an opinion or make a stand. Use the Bible as a whole, the whole story of God, to consider in determining the message that God wants to convey. In verses 9 through 15, we see Paul's personal remarks. First, he asks Timothy to come quickly. He really wants to see him in person before he dies. He goes through a long list of personal interactions with others. He lists people and places, Demas and Thessalonia, Cretans and Galatia, Titus and Dalmatia. He states that only Luke is with him now. He instructs Timothy to go get Mark and to bring him because he's been helpful in the ministry. Tychius, he says, is in Ephesus. And then there's this really odd statement, bring my cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. And he issues a warning about Alexander the metal worker, stating that he is strongly opposed to the message and be cautious around him. Skipping down to verse 19, he asked Timothy to greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. He states that Aratus stayed in Corinth and he left Trophius sick in Miletus. Then a second time he tells Timothy, get here as soon as you can before winter if possible. And I wonder if winter isn't that symbol of death when things die off. Get here and visit with me before I transition to my eternal reward. I'm sorry. 
had a personal experience with that this week with someone who um, has become a part of my ministry through a mission trip to Jamaica. We only connected through that experience. And she is at the end of life now and is fighting hard um, to keep her faith and to cling to the fact that God is a healer. And however that healing comes, she will have faith in him. And I got a call this week that it would probably be beneficial if I went to visit with her. Um, I tried. And I wasn't able to make contact because it was a bad day, but I was able to reach out and to minister to her mom. I didn't plan to share all of this right now, but it's in my heart. Can I just say that relationships are so extremely important? No matter how brief they've been, no matter how you came in contact or when you come in contact, especially relationships that had to do with church and ministry, they matter. Connect with people as you get the opportunity and know that those are valuable, God-given opportunities to receive and to share his love. He says, greetings from Ebulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. So what is the point? I asked the question, how did Paul get to the place where even, he, even when he wasn't supported, even when he felt deserted, his heart for people, his heart was for the people, not against the people, even when he had every reason to be disappointed. If you go back and you reread the portion that we just studied today, it's pretty obvious Paul's life looks a whole lot like the Jesus that he followed. He was poured out and sacrificed so that others could receive the good news of God's amazing love. This should be our goal as well, that at the end of life, people see in us the Jesus that we followed. If you read the in-between passages, Paul's personal thoughts, you get some insight that I think is very valuable. He got there through a community of faith of others willing to walk alongside with the same goal and the same mission through successes and failures, hills and valleys, highs and lows, a connection with God that led to a connection with people. Sound familiar? Because if you've been here, we've heard that over and over again. We reach up vertically to God so that we can reach out horizontally to others, the symbol of the cross. The greatest of all trials and sufferings, and let me, let me remind you that Paul faced it all, probably way more than any of us will ever face and deal, deal with. And yet those difficulties were not able to rob him of the joy of knowing it was worth it all. He poured out his life for the benefit of others, grateful, always grateful for the grace and mercy that he had received from God. People and place matter. The culmination of life experiences all work together to accomplish God's purpose in our life. And God does have a purpose for your life, every single one of you. The statement about Mark is really important because we know through Scripture that Mark and Paul had a pretty intense disagreement. And yet at the end of the life, Paul says to Timothy, bring Mark. We may not always agree, but he's been really useful in my ministry. And I wonder if he just wanted to make sure that he could tell him that. I can't say too many times, we do not grow only surrounded by like-minded people. We need different perspectives. And disagreements and differences are not always bad. It's how we handle them that matters. And understanding that we need each other in ministry is an important factor in accomplishing that. 
The request to bring his cloak in the middle of listing all of these people and places seems kind of odd. I pointed that out. Why do you think that was included? In ancient traditions, passing on of a cloak was a symbol of passing on identity to the one that you mentored. My mission has ended but for, for me, but it will continue through you. And here is my cloak as a symbol of that. It was an attempt to ensure that the circle be unbroken. Paul was attempting by every means possible to pass on everything that he could to his young pre- to this young preacher that he mentored, ensuring that the gospel would continue and that Timothy would in turn pour out his life in sacrifice because of his deep gratitude to God. One last thing from chapter 4 and verse 12, bring me my scrolls and my parchments. We don't know exactly what those were. The scrolls most likely were scripture and the parchments could have been Paul's own writings or writings of others that inspired or influenced him. Fred Craddock shares a story of being kidnapped during a hospital visit uh, to a member of his congregation, a small group of people that he didn't know, literally walked in during his visit, grabbed him by the arms, and ushered him into another room. It was a kind of a rough crowd, and he wasn't really sure what to expect. But when he got to the room, there was an elderly woman passing, not peacefully, but in a frightful, horrific way. She was unconscious, but she was flailing and fitful, And in desperation, they asked him, well, he says they commanded him, pray for her now. And he scanned the room looking for a Bible, having left his back in the room where he had been previously, and all he could find were magazines, Star, Inquirer, no stories of inspiration, only gossip and fiction. And he said that he determined in his heart that day that when the time for his passing came, and as much as possible up until that time, he would read only what was beneficial for his spirit and his soul. We know the importance of feeding our bodies, but do you understand the importance of feeding your spirit and your soul? Because I think many of us have sick bodies because we what, what we put into them. But I think that it's just the, the same is true of our spirits and souls. That many are sick and dying because of what they're being fed. I have emphasized throughout this series the importance of studying the whole story of God. So we're going to conclude using the revised common lectionary scriptures for this week in whole, just briefly. The Old Testament passage today is from Jeremiah 14, 7 through 10 and 19 through 22. And in it, we read that all people are sinners and that our sin is great. That we have this tendency to wander and turn our eyes towards idols that cannot save us. It concludes with these words, paraphrased, we set our hope on you, who is all-powerful and ever-faithful. And then Psalm 84 speaks of the temple, and that it states that our souls long to be in the presence of the Lord. That happy are those who dwell there, who live there, not just there on Sunday morning, but sing his praises throughout the course of every day. God grants strength that has the power to carry us through any hell we might face. But it doesn't come in just showing up each week. It only comes as we allow what we learn to form within us this deep gratitude for God that carries us through every situation. 
The gospel is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, a parable that's told by Jesus of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. The Pharisee stands by himself, apart from the other sinners, praying, thank you that I'm not like them. I don't take, but instead I fast and I tithe. The tax collector also stands far off from everyone else, beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes with these words, I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And our typical response as readers is to judge that Pharisee as being unfaithful and to be grateful that we are not like him, but we have humility within our hearts, which is exactly what the passage wards against. But did you catch that part that both men stood alone and apart from the others gathered to worship? So what's the common thread in the passages today? Well, that's something that you're going to have to determine for yourself through the Spirit's guidance and leading. But I will give you just a little bit of my own insight. What stands out for me this week is yet another reminder of the necessity of wholehearted devotion to God, which is not possible on our own accord or through our own strength, but is accomplished only as we surrender ourselves completely and fully to God, followed by reaching out to others and understanding that we receive growth in and through our imperfect relationships to one another. I'm also reminded of the importance of devotion and study through reading and hearing of Scripture and reading books and studies that provide spiritual growth and development. And finally, maybe the most important of all, God is ever and always faithful as we open our hearts and minds to receive His love. And his love changes us. It enables us to share the mercy and the grace that we ourselves have received and to mentor others in doing likewise. Will the circle be unbroken? Well, my answer is a resounding no. But not because of anything that any of us will say or do, but because God. Amen. Amen.